0: Welcome to Lessons Learned, supported by Airhead with me, Laura Winter. In this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to star sportsmen and women about the moments, choices, or indeed in hindsight, the mistakes that have formed the backdrop to their greatest victories and their biggest defeats. Because more often than not, A lesson learned the hard way is a lesson learned for a lifetime. We are about to delve into my guests' professional and personal moments, both good and bad. From becoming a parent or winning Olympic gold, to getting divorced or losing a race, There are lessons to be learned in every human experience. So, episode three got a lot of people talking. Thank you so much for your comments, thoughts, and messages about it. It seems many could resonate with Nico Roach's words on mental health and had much to say about how professional cycling can treat riders. The biggest thank you of all goes to Nico, who is so open and honest, and I know it helps others to hear that despite appearances, we all struggle from time to time. At the Cattery said on Twitter, loving this. Good discussion. Thanks, Nico, for sharing the hard times. It helps people hearing that, and hopefully, cathartic for him too. At Dave number seven also tweeted, this is about the humanity of sport and lives. This openness is wonderful to hear. We'll be listening to the podcast. Revealing in trust is also brave. Well, thank you so much for that feedback. That's exactly what this podcast is all about. So episode four is a deep, illuminating and revealing chat with another brilliant guest. And I was totally moved speaking to her. I absolutely loved our conversation and I hope you all have a similar reaction out there. Just a quick note to say, due to the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, all of these interviews had to be recorded via Zoom rather than face-to-face, but we've smoothed the audio out as much as possible. Before we launch into it, I am so pleased to say this podcast is supported by Airhead. The team have created a truly unique pollution mask for people that love getting active and being outside for their physical and mental health. Active travel and wearing a mask has never been so important. Whether you're cycling, running or walking, this mask offers the most advanced protection. And they're currently offering 43% off retail price when you pre-order. Head to www.airhead.cc forward slash lessons learned to join the Airhead community. So here we go, sit back and relax. And if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a review as well. I'd love to hear what you think. I am so excited to welcome four-time Olympic medalist Becky Adlington to the podcast. Becky is a former swimmer and one of our Olympic heroes. She won gold in the 400 metre and 800 metre freestyle at the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games and double bronze at London 2012. She's also a two-time Commonwealth Games champion, a world and a European champion in distance freestyle. Becky retired after London 2012 and went on to star in BBC swimming coverage as a pundit. She also so has a five-year-old daughter, Summer. Becky, a very, very warm welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, doing well, thank you very much. Um, very much enjoying recording this podcast. It's a brand new venture for me and it's kind of born out of, I think, the extended period of lockdown we've had and the chance that that's given us all to reflect on the moments in our lives and hence this podcast was born and I'm so so excited to have you on as a guest not least because I'm a former swimmer myself so I'm almost fangirling here because I was in distance freestyle too and while I was at the very bottom of the rankings you were very much at the top so I'm super excited to talk to you. Ah, thank you. I mean your life, your career, it's been pretty well documented. You're one of our Olympic heroes but also beyond that and personally as well as professionally you've had your fair share of ups and downs shall we say.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I feel like it's one of those that um, my life was kind of thrust into the media obviously after Beijing and I've kind of continued to kind of be involved in the media and somehow um, obviously I have done bits of reality telly but I did I'm a celeb and the jump and things so you kind of it kind of comes with the territory that I can't really moan about it Um and obviously I'm present on social media and things like that so I've kind of lived through it I feel like most people it's nice because whenever I'm out and about people feel like they know me and I kind of really like that it's not like I'm an actress or whatever I sometimes feel sorry for those soap guys that play a nasty character and then they meet them in real life and think they're really nasty and I'm like no 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 (laughs) but whereas with athletes I think that you just kind of they get to know you straight away like there's no preparation in an athlete you come out the pool you have no time to prepare because you have no idea what was going to happen in the race and a microphone gets thrust in front of your face and you have 10 seconds to react and you're like "Ah, ah So you can't be anything other than yourself. So that's just what I've always tried to do. I've just tried to be who I am, genuine. This is me. Take me or leave me, love or hate me, but this is just
0: who I am. Oh, well, we all love who you are. And I'm honestly so excited to get into this chat. Your moments are all absolutely brilliant as well. And a lovely combination of professional and personal, I think, um, because what we see in the pool is about 1%. You know, What we see in Olympic Games is kind of 1% of what makes up who you are and the back drop to your life and, and to what has actually happened beyond those moments where you're touching the wall first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever it is. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think,
1: especially with the with some of the Olympic sports, it's not a football. Most kind of higher-up athletes or bigger sports, football, especially, like the lives are so well documented. There's so many TV shows out there, podcasts out there, everything else. Like, I'm addicted to the Peter Crouch podcast, I'll openly say it, as I'm sure many other people are, and it's such a great insight. But but unfortunately, with some of the minority sports and some of the smaller sports, you just don't get to have that insight. Nobody wants to follow me to the pool at 5 a.m. in the morning. That's for certain. So it's very, very different for some of the other sports. And that's why it is so nice during lockdown and before lockdown to be able to just share a little bit about Summer's life and my life in particular and kind of giving that bit of background. Because like you say, you just get to see this athlete for two minutes or whatever their race is at Olympic Games and then right, you're on to the next race. So it's nice to give people a little bit of insight of what it takes to to have got to that moment.
0: Let's get into it then. Your first moment in your life that kind of taught you lessons or shaped your life, made you who you are today.
1: Yeah, my first moment I think shaped my life as well as my whole family's life. Um, And it was back in 2005. And I was diagnosed with glandular fever and post-viral fatigue. And I just felt that something was off for so long. I just couldn't do the level of training that I was able to do. I mean, don't get me wrong, as a swimmer, you're always tired, but this was a whole different level and I just didn't understand, and then I was diagnosed. And during this process, I was diagnosed with that. I was going through my GCSEs as well. And my sister ended up going into intensive care with encephalitis. And that was just such a strange period of our life case my sister started out with the flu and we called a doctor out to home she went into hospital because her temperature was too high and Next minute, we know, she's my sister Laura is saying to my mum, mum, call the nurse. And my mum was like, why? She was like, mum, call the nurse. The next minute I know she's having a fit and they rush her off. They put her into an induced coma, which she was in for a week. They didn't have a clue what it was as well. They were literally like, could be meningitis, it could be this. Nobody was diagnosing it. And then we finally moved to a bigger hospital in Nottingham where they finally diagnosed it was encephalitis. And all of us went what the hell's that? (laughs) Because no one knows what encephalitis is. It's something that happens and affects so many people. But unless you know somebody affected by it, it isn't one of those well-known viruses out there that people are fully aware of. And that's why I joined the the society as an ambassador to try and raise awareness. And luckily, Laura was able to recover. You never fully recover from encephalitis, but it was certainly a period in in our lives that was just so difficult. The doctors telling us, you've got to say goodbye to your sister. She's going to die and I was like, "Wow!" I was 15 at the time. It was something that was very, very hard for the family to digest and luckily... She pulled through She was young She was 17 And she was an absolute fighter But completely shaped our family In a total different way I mean most 15 year olds Are yelling at their parents Saying I hate you And having petty arguments And all this sort of stuff And that definitely wasn't What happened in our family We just came together it, We grew up a lot Well especially me And my sisters did Because we were the teenagers It taught us You know what Put the petty stuff aside And we learned to just Love one another Support one another That unconditional support No matter what we just had to get healthy again. And it really kind of put life into perspective. And I think that something like that to happen at a young age makes you then just not take life for granted. And I think it really shaped me, even now that I want to kind of live my life to the full and get the most out of it because I'm just, I've always remembered that moment and we all kind of come back to it. We all talk about it. It's something my sister still deals with now. But at the same time, it's kind of so nice that we've, she survived it and we're able to communicate in that way. But
0: yeah, it definitely shaped our lives. <laughs> (laughs) It's not something you'd look back on fondly by any stretch, but I think it's something that you'd look back on and say, you're not grateful it happened. You're not glad it happened. They're the wrong words to use, but it's important it happened in in making you who you are today. And actually the things you've learned from it, would you take them away? What, you know, as it shaped you as a family? Definitely not. I think it, it was such a difficult period, such a difficult
1: time. And obviously, like you say, I wouldn't wish it on any family. But the fact that it did happen, I think it completely probably changed us for the better. It's made us much closer. We're much more honest with one another. We support one another unconditionally. I mean, every family does, but even more so because we know what it would be like if, it did go bad. I think we've had that experience of that really tough time, and we don't ever want to go back there. So we just rely on each other so much. And I think for me, it shaped my swimming career as well because swimming became my escape. It, so it made me realize that, but it also helped my swimming career because I just knew it wasn't life or death. It put life into perspective for me. I was just putting my hat and goggles on and going for a swim. And that was really important. And it really did become my escape. Swimming became the place that if I was happy, sad, angry, frustrated, I just went swimming. And I think if I hadn't had that, I really worry where I would have ended up in my life because it was a very lost period of a couple of months. And we were just so lost and we were kind of like just going from place to place. I was trying to do my GCSEs and my sister was just driving me everywhere and we were trying to communicate. We were doing everything that my mum and dad, so my mum and dad could be at the hospital, but it completely made me more responsible. It told me to grow up and just put petty stuff aside as well. And I think that was really important for me at that point in my life, definitely.
0: I was about to ask, it was three years out from Beijing. So it's brilliant to hear that actually it had a kind of almost positive effect on your swimming career and actually helped you perhaps focus more and realise the perspective of, yes, I'm standing on the block and there's a lot at stake, but ultimately there's so much more going on in my life, in my family's life and in the world than the next eight minutes. In the pool, but in the in the immediacy. Did the impact, the mental impact and also the physical impact of your glandular fever really affect you in the pool? And were there moments where you thought, I can't come back from how my body's feeling right now?
1: Yeah, it was really closely monitored by the doctors. I'm very, very grateful for that. I kind of t- had to take a step back from swimming. I didn't ever stop. I could not stop swimming. It was my love. And it, my mum and dad never wanted me to stop either because they were like, hold on, you need this swimming because it's a chance for you to just go and be a 15-year-old girl with your friends. The pool was literally on the same road as the hospital that my sister was in so that was a massive bonus because it was on the same stretch so my parents were like get out the hospital for a few hours and go for a swim just be with your friends and I was able to do that my coach was absolutely fantastic Bill Bill was just like, go to the back of the lane and just swim. And we just really worked on technique. We just worked on the love of the sport. He really closely monitored me. Um, It took about 18 months um, for me to get back to full fitness again um, and to the point where I could train. I was always wearing a heart rate monitor, always having blood tests, always monitoring it. But in those 18 months, I kind of had to scale back sometimes. When I wanted to push forward, it it was my coach Bill going, no, 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 slow down a little bit, just take your time. And If he hadn't have done that, I think if we had rushed back, I wouldn't have achieved what I did in Beijing. So I think with the doctors, my coach everything that was going on and kind of just putting the brakes on for a little bit and slowing down, enabled me to then make a full recovery and come back rather than just then always niggling and always getting ill.
0: I think people always say it now that swimming is so good for mental health and for mindfulness. And mindfulness in 2005 wasn't really a thing, was it? It wasn't really a a word that that was in use in general society. It very much is now, God, 15 years later. But for you in that moment, actually getting to the back of the lane and just focusing on technique It's mindfulness, isn't it? In action, it's simply a grounding technique of going, okay, I'm going to swim and I'm going to focus on my catch under the water and I'm going to focus on my turn and I'm going to focus on my underwater phase. And you don't need to think about you know the huge noise that's going on around swimming.
1: Yeah 100% and I think that's sometimes what it is sometimes it was just a case of not having my phone or not talking to somebody else just simply just staring at a black line at the bottom of the pool as boring as that sounds mentally sometimes helped other times it was a case of I got to just really chat to my friends at the pool so it took me away from what was happening it was a distraction other times like you said it was just simply just to focus on my hand coming out the water and every single movement. I just got to concentrate on that and just switch off mentally rather than being so exhausted from overthinking everything and everything that was happening. It was just a case of, okay, just concentrate on the little simple things that are just natural. They're almost second nature to me then as well. It was like getting in the car. It's like going for a drive. You don't actually physically know how you drive anymore. You don't get in the car and go, right, push the foot down, put it in gear. Do you? Because you just it's second nature. Yeah, you just habits, go. processes, isn't it? Of course. And that's, exactly what swimming was to me I knew how to swim it wasn't like I was learning anything new so actually to just break it down and concentrate on each element again my hand entry my underwater fit absolutely every little section was just a chance to kind of just reset that motion and really focus on things that just were an outside distraction and just concentrate on the swimming.
0: Well, I, and I think the nation, <laughs> are so pleased that that you and your family and your sister got through that period because it led on to your second moment. And we couldn't not include this. Could we double Olympic champion in Beijing? but I can't even begin to imagine the whirlwind that happened for you that day?
1: Oh, just Beijing was just that in general. People don't believe me when I say I genuinely didn't know that was going to happen. I literally hand on heart swear that my goal going into it was to make the final for the 400 and I thought I could possibly sneak a bronze medal in the 800. I never ever in my wildest dreams expected to get two gold and get a world record. Even my parents didn't fly out for the 400. After I'd won the 400, I phoned my parents. They were like, why didn't you tell us that was going to happen? And I was like, I didn't know. And that even they hadn't come out because they just didn't expect me to do anything in that race. They thought that was just... A little set up, blow the cobwebs away, sort of swim and get ready for my 800. So even they didn't expect it. So it was a complete shock to my family, to me, to to Bill, to everyone. It wasn't just the nation that were a bit kind of like, oh, who's this girl that's popped along? I was going through that as well. <laughs> and after, especially after the 800, and to get that world record, it was as old as I was at the time. It was something that I honestly thought was like winning the lottery. That's what I compare it to because I'm like, everyone wants to win the lot. Lottery, but you never do <laughs> and you get like two pounds 60 or whatever it is when you get your ticket don't you and you're like damn it and that but that's exactly the same as as swimming and getting a gold medal or kind of getting a world record i just thought it just wasn't for me i just kind of thought i'm just this girl from mansfield that just loves her sport so the fact that that happened and i remember so clearly um after my 800 going around to my coach bill and bill was like i want to be the first person to say you're double olympic champion your life's going to change and I literally laughed in his face. I literally was like, don't be so silly, as if. And we were in such a bubble over there, like no English newspapers, no English telly, no nothing. It was just a complete bubble. So landing back after Beijing and just seeing the media attention, the support that we got, honestly, we never expected it because we just didn't have a clue what was happening. And to get that level of support was just unbelievable. And people wanting to have photos with me or press talking to me, I was literally like, why? I just was like, it was so overwhelming. I didn't have a manager at the time. So going through that whole period of my life, I had no idea what to expect. I was literally going to events, had no clue. Honestly, I was just like a deer in headlights for like three months of my life. As, and I was just being dragged from one thing to the other thing to the next. And I'm very, very grateful for the opportunities I had. But my gosh, I didn't expect them. And I think I still turn around to my coach even now and go, you were right. My life did change and I did definitely took that for granted because I just did not believe him and my god was he right.
0: (laughs) And you were just 19 as well I mean most 19 year olds are freshers at university or in their first term or whatever or you know starting an apprenticeship or taking a gap year and you're becoming a double olympic champion. I know.
1: It was honestly bizarre. And I think because of having so much illness, like I hadn't been to a Commonwealth Games, like there was no stepping stone. Most athletes, you go on this stepping stone journey. You go to Europeans, Commonwealth Games, Worlds, you kind of go up the hierarchy and then you go to Olympics and then you achieve. Whereas I kind of did it all backwards and hadn't even made an international final before. And then all of a sudden I'm double Olympic champion and it blew my expectations away. I never even openly uttered the words out loud, I wanted to win a gold medal. And there it was happening to me. So it was just such a bizarre period. I honestly, still to this day, don't think it sunk in. So many people say, does it, is it sunk? And I'm like, no, I still think, look, I look back now going, did that happen to me? Like, it's just a biz- such a bizarre thing, but one that obviously all the hard work, all the 4.30 a.m. starts, like it, it, swimming is a slog. Like you train 50 weeks of the year, you're diving into the water at five, half, five, six a.m. in the morning, 20 plus hours in the pool every week, plus gym sessions. Like, like you know what it's like. And it's just kind of like, for then all of a sudden to be on the back page of the newspaper and everything like that, it was just like, what? It was just...
0: Bizarre. Oh, you're giving me goosebumps thinking about it. (laughs) And I think it's really interesting because when you talk to a lot of Olympians, they experience a sense of almost loss or avoid post-games because everything they've been doing has built up to that one moment when they're going to become an Olympic champion. Whereas for you, it was out the blue. So was it actually more of a wholly positive whirlwind experience? Did you experience any kind of feelings, any negativity at all? Not with that. I think because A, we knew we had London, so I think that
1: was a massive help because we were like, everything was just Home Olympics, Home Olympics, Home Olympics and everything, even in Beijing everything was about, well London's the next Olympics and that was such a vision of everybody's, but also for me there was still stuff as an athlete Like I still wanted to go to a Commonwealth Games there was still so much I wanted to achieve that I hadn't Like it wasn't a case of I was like a Kelly Holmes at the end of her career and it happened perfectly, for me it was a case of, right, it was overnight, it was a massive surprise, but there was still so much more I wanted to do never got a world uh, championships title I wanted to kind of complete the set and there was that home games as well I think was the massive draw as well so there was never even a question of okay what am I going to do now because the motivation was even higher because of London that the only way to better an Olympics is a home Olympics so I think that because of having that if we hadn't had a home Olympics I probably would have felt that loss I probably would have felt that oh gosh okay what now I've achieved way more than I've ever expected let's reevaluate, but I just didn't have any of that because of London and I'm very lucky and to be honest I didn't have time to think about that like honestly it was just mad going for like three months going to different events different sponsors trying to find a manager everything else and going into schools doing all that sort of stuff was just didn't give me time to reflect or think about it <laughs>
0: Well, let's go on to London 2012 then. That's your third moment. It's a fairy tale, isn't it? For any British Olympic athlete at that time, a home Olympic Games. I was very lucky to be working as well. And I, I was, well, I think we're a very similar age. So yeah, I was going in there at 22, 23 years old and it was just the most extraordinary two weeks I think I've ever experienced, this country has ever experienced. So to be an athlete actually representing your nation in a home games must have been one of the most defining experiences of your life.
1: Honestly, just qualifying was like, oh my gosh, like such a relief. I think because it had been such a build-up. I think we found out seven years before London that we got it. six or seven years. It was six or seven years of emotion of building up to a home games. Every single athlete, no matter what sport, gave their everything to make that home Olympics. Absolutely everything. So to just qualify was like an elephant lifted off my shoulders because I was like, oh my gosh, I've made it. Like it was such a relief moment. Um, Relief became before joy because it was kind of like, okay, this is happening. It's real. We can get excited. We can get involved. And then obviously going to the games was such a bizarre thing because we had had our Olympic trials at the pool. So there wasn't that element of surprise that we had like when we went to other countries like i can remember stepping into beijing stepping into the village having never seen it before and just being like oh my gosh, it was like a kid in Disneyland. And same with going to the pool. I still remember to this day the butterflies I got when I stepped into the cube in Beijing. Whereas we didn't have that in London because we had already seen the venues so much. We had been there so much. we had have camps there. We had trains there. We competed there. So we kind of had that. But what it did bring was the atmosphere, the kind of energy that was around in London, the volunteers, the just, the aura around the place is just so hard to explain to anyone that wasn't able to be there, but I think it did come across on TV. I think people got that sense because it was just, wow. I kept having to pinch myself and I really took a moment to kind of make sure that I took a step back, even going into everything. I think the second Olympics, but also a home Olympics, I wanted to take every moment in. I wanted to appreciate it. I wanted to just take every little thing, the smells, the sense, everything going on. I just wanted to appreciate it a lot more. And my gosh, it delivered. I think we were very, very proud to be British in those two weeks but we put on an excellent show and it was just even the opening ceremony I remember just sat there because I didn't go because swimming's up first but just got goosebumps and it was just like oh my gosh we pulled this off and it's amazing <laughs> and even every other country kept coming up to us going you guys have absolutely smashed this and we were like we know, like, oh,
0: <laughs> it's um, amazing. The best games still. I still maintain the best games by far. And it was joy, wasn't it? I think it was, if you could bottle it and sell it, it would be joy. That's what it was. This unbridled, childlike joy throughout the capital, throughout the nation. But with that for you as a home athlete coming to defend two Olympic titles, I'd imagine a whole mound of pressure as well. The pressure was mainly from myself. The pressure
1: and expectation I put on myself was huge huge. And I think I took probably a lot of it in a way that I shouldn't have. I remember going to the supermarket and if somebody stopped me going, you're going to win two gold medals again. I took that into my brain as, oh my God, they expect me to win two gold medals again, rather than them just wishing me luck. They didn't know the sport. Some people don't know swimming, people don't understand it. So I can't blame them for thinking that because I won four years earlier, I was going to win again. But I took that in quite a pressured sort of environment instead of just going, oh, they just wishing me luck how lovely I would take that as okay I can't disappoint them, and I took on that burden myself, and only I did that. I think an athlete's kind of biggest rival is themselves. I think you're constantly as an athlete striving for perfection, you're striving for excellence, you're striving to constantly better your time, constantly improve, and that weight and expectation you put on yourself is humongous as an athlete, and I don't know any athlete that's never done that because that is the biggest weight of the world completely um and it certainly was for myself and It was something that I tried to deal with the best I possibly could. Certainly for the 400, I mean, I knew going into London, I wasn't going to do what I did in Beijing, but I couldn't ever come out and say that. If I sat there in a press interview and said, guys, I'm never going to do that. Everyone's going to be like, oh, she's been so negative. How silly of her. But it was just fact. Everyone in the swimming world knew it. Everyone knew that I wasn't in the place that I was four years earlier. I didn't have the speed of the other girls. Swimming had changed dramatically. We went through a suit, a super shiny suit era, which for the sport massively changed the sport. Um, The events changed as well. The 400 had predominantly moved away from a distance event to a more middle distance event. So that was for me, I really struggled with that because I am pure distance. And unfortunately for me, I was just out of the time where the 1500 is, is now an Olympic event but it wasn't at the time so for me I, my only options were the 4 and the 8 whereas if I'd been an athlete now my my events would have been the 800 and the 1500 so I'm just more suited to that but explaining that to a non-swimmer is really difficult because people just go well aren't they similar it's only double and it's kind of like well yes but it's not quite the same but it's, it's a very hard thing to put into perspective so I knew I didn't have the speed of the girls I mean I remember coming out of my heat swim of the 400 and crying because I didn't think I made the final. So, to come to go into that final in eighth place, I was in lane one or eight, I can't remember, one of the outside lanes I was in, and to then get a bronze medal was absolutely incredible. For me, that was beyond any expectation because literally eight hours before, I was crying because I hadn't even made the final. So, the fact that then I'd gone from that, and it's quite rare that you go from eighth to third, um, and I was so pleased with that. The time was faster than I did in Beijing as well. I just swam my own race. So, I was like, over the moon with that bronze medal for me it felt like a gold medal because I was like oh my god I, I managed to do it even from not making the final so it was massive but then to go into the 800 and an event where I just dived in and I just had nothing to give I got the timing wrong of my taper which is very technical and boring stuff for people that aren't involved in the sport but I just got the season wrong with the time frame we just messed up by like two weeks like literally you know, it just affected it And but for me I was so disappointed with that bronze medal there was so much emotion there I felt I'd let everyone down, I'd let myself down, I'd let my coach down the first thing I said to my coach after the race was I'm so sorry, I felt so bad because he had put everything in and he literally came up to me, gave me a hug and was like I never want you to say that to me again but I felt so bad I felt awful, I just couldn't stop crying, I felt like I disappointed everyone, I was getting tweets from people going you should be ashamed um, how disappointed that you got the bronze and everything. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I am. I've let let the country down. And it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with that. That has been something that since retiring has been a battle of mine. And I can't ever say I'll be proud of the time I swam, but I'm certainly proud of that bronze medal now because it, it just showed I never gave up. I kind of learned my character that day. I learned how I dealt with those things as a person. I'm so proud of how I dealt with it. That day, I held my head high. Yes, I couldn't stop crying, but I wasn't a sore loser. I didn't blame anyone else. I was Katie Ledecky, who won the American Girl. I am so close. She sent me a letter afterwards, saying how lovely it was and how I was nice to her. And I was like, "Oh, you're welcome." And it was just, I was so proud of the person I was that day. So I am very proud of that bronze medal now, even though I won't be of the time. And I think for me, it's just accepting that okay, that was my last Olympics. I was retiring after that. I couldn't ever put that right. And I didn't necessarily want to because I'd given it my all. I can honestly say on my career, I've left no stone unturned. I've got no what if moments. I did absolutely everything I could. So I don't have that desire as a a person to now be like, I need to replicate being an athlete. There's no challenges I want to go out and do because I achieved everything in my sport and I couldn't ever put it right because I gave it my all. I gave it 100%. than I could have done. I just simply wasn't good enough on the day. But dealing with that kind of retirement, the change in my lifestyle, everything, my last Olympics, a home games, the emotion of the previous four years, the emotion of the the next chapter of my life, it was just a very emotional time. I don't think I stopped crying for 24 hours.
0: (laughs) I remember seeing you crying on the podium and I think you could feel it was almost tangible that it was this, like you just said, this melting pot of everything. The last four years, Beijing, feeling like you hadn't done enough in the 800 and I think no one would say that now what you achieved in swimming was extraordinary and it came at a time when swimming wasn't typically meddling that well and suddenly you came along and changed the face of it all and for those who don't know Katie Ledecky has become the finest distant freestyler of her generation and is doing extraordinary stuff in swimming times that we could only have dreamed of you know times that are simply phenomenal in 800 meter freestyle swimming now looking back do you still have that sense of it wasn't enough do you finally feel it was enough is that a kind of curse? that follows an athlete, that nothing is ever enough? I think
1: for me, the time was what the biggest shock was. And that's just because every athlete, it doesn't matter whether you're a world record holder, that's still your personal best time. You always want to achieve a faster time. My training had been set up to go faster. Everything was there. I know that I was capable of going faster as well. So that's always hard to digest because I know I was capable. But at the same time, it's got to come together. That's the beauty of an Olympics. It's just that one moment to quote Eminem, that one opportunity that you are. is mean, start like, rapping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like you have that one shot and if you don't do it, then you don't do it. And that's what makes sports incredible and exciting and thrilling and everything I love about the sport now. So I'm never going to knock that because I love that so much. And to be able to now say every Olympic final I swam in, I medaled in is huge. Like I just would... Ne- and if somebody had told me at the age of 14, 15... this is what's going to happen in your career, I think I would have dropped dead and told them, no, there's more chance of a pig flying. So I think the fact that now it's happened, and even now, like I said before, I don't think it's ever going to fully sink in because I never expected it to. And I'm incredibly proud of everything that I did within the sport. I hope that I was a good role model. I hope that I inspired people, but I hope I was a great ambassador of trying to get more people into the sport as well. So I did everything I possibly could. So I think it's just one of those that I've definitely come to terms with with how my career panned out. Because a lot of people say to me, oh, would it not have been nicer to get the two golds in London and the two bronze in Beijing? And I'm like, yeah, but life doesn't work like that. Like That isn't life. That's not real. And I don't ever wish that they had swapped. Yes, it would have probably been ideal. But at the same time, Beijing changed my life. And it, it's made me the person I am right now. So how would I ever want to change anything? Like there's literally nothing I would change about my career. Not one thing. And not many people can say that.
0: And that's a wonderful thing, I think, as a sports person, to come out of your career retired and feel that you've done everything you could. Like you said, no stone left unturned. And you can walk away at the top of your game happy. And of course, with that came an enormous lifestyle change. And that moves us on to point number four, which is becoming a mum to summer. I know, yeah. The, just the best thing. My greatest
1: achievement definitely is having summer. It was just an absolute emotional roller coaster from the day I found out I was pregnant to giving birth to everything you go through as a mum. It's completely changed me as a person. So many people said to me before becoming a mum that I was going to be like the tough, bad cop. I was the one that was like, I am no messing. I'm the type of person that's very black and white. I'm very honest and opinionated. I'm like, like this. And then all of sudden, this child came along and melted me. I completely turned into this person that is a worrier. I worry about everything. I have guilt all the time. I think it's a rite of passage when you become a mum. You worry and you have guilt. There are the two things that you are just constantly like, oh my gosh, am I doing enough? And it's just the way it is. But I'm so glad as well because she has softened me and she has taught me what unconditional love is. I mean, I loved my family, don't get me wrong, but when you become a mum, it just totally changes. You go, and as an athlete, think about how selfish I had to be. I had to go from being so self-involved and everything was around me performing and how could I get the most out of my career and having to be so selfish to then becoming the most selfless person because that's what you are as a parent is everything is for your child. It was a complete shift in my life and... One that I went from being married as well to then being a single parent was definitely a challenge. And going through then all the changes, my daughter's only five, so I've got a lot more to go, but dealing with school and all that sort of stuff is just kind of a complete, utter whirlwind. But one that, my gosh, my favorite title of all, any Olympic champion title is being a mum. Like that is my biggest thing that I will always class myself as a mum first before any Olympic medalist or anything else that any other title all that people want to give me I'm like never no, mum first like that is like my focus that is my life that is what Everything of my world evolves around.
0: That's such a gorgeous sentiment. I'm not a mum. I can't, I only have a very naughty dog, so I can't actually really relate to that. But that is utterly gorgeous to think that. And obviously, you have Harry as well as Summer's dad, and he recently hit the press uh, talking about his own sexuality. And I know you're incredibly supportive of that, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, me and Harry have had definitely
1: a whirlwind journey of marriage and divorce and raising Summer, but we've managed to stay so close, even after the divorce. He is a fantastic dad, and that is the most thing. We're so in line when it comes to parenting that we just everything is aligned for what is best for summer. Our priority is always summer, and I think when you've got two people that are parents or whoever that love your child, just want to support them, want the best for them, it's going to work. It's going to be a beautiful friendship because you just have her in mind all the time, and both of us have that priority. We're great friends. It's kind of one of those that is lovely to have that friendship out of everything that we've overcome. I'm so proud that he finally feels he's able to be himself as, again, that only makes him a better parent and someone's sexuality does not affect their parenting ability at all in my eyes Um, and yeah, he's a fantastic dad. I couldn't ask for a better one for Summer.
0: That's so lovely to hear. Another word on Summer as well, I spoke to Matthew Pinson in a previous podcast obviously Olympic champion rower and he talked about his kids and his fear of being a pushy parent as an Olympic champion. Everyone asks. Oh well, okay. Your kid's going to be, you know, Olympic rowers. Are they going to win Olympic gold? Are they going to be world champions wearing an England shirt? And he was like, No, no, no. They're just going to have fun and do sport. Do you get the same questions about Summer being an Olympic swimmer and following in, you know, her parents' footsteps? Yeah,
1: of course she's going to do. I think everyone gets compared to their parents. I mean, I got it growing up as well. Everyone does get compared to their parents. Of course they do. But um, I think for me, I don't think Summer's got any bloody bluster in the nicest possible way. She's so cute. I love watching her swim. Honestly, she loves the water, absolutely adores it. I've taken her since she was three weeks old and she has no fear. She jumps straight in. She is such a good little swimmer, but my gosh, she just kind of, does her own thing on a backstroke, she's like yeah whatever, I'm just swimming and that's what I love I don't get involved, I don't go up to the swimming teacher, I drop her off at a lesson, I sit there on the side and just beam with pride and just laugh and it's just amazing, I'm certainly not going to push her into any avenue we both agreed, me and Harry, she's staying in lessons until she can swim full 25 metres with no aids, no nothing, she can do it so then we know she's safe, that is our biggest goal with her and then once it's she's got it as a life skill, we're fine. If she then turns around to me and says, "Mummy, I want to stop fine. Like as long as she can fully swim, that's only my goal and my priority. And I do hope obviously she gets into sport because I think sport gives you so much, not just medals. I think it's given me my best friends. It's made me travel. The characteristics that I've got that I've learned from sport, being dedicated and determined and disciplined and teamwork and everything else, it gives you so much. So of course I'd love her to go down sport, but she's definitely more arts and crafts than she is sport. So uh, yeah, each their own. I say and I'll support her no matter
0: what and definitely swimming as well I'm often asked about women's sport and and how I feel about women doing sport and for me growing up in swimming swimming was a, a sport where men and women competed entirely alongside each other on one platform on one television program equal footing and that taught me that there's absolutely no barrier to women doing sport and I was almost taken aback when I actually became older and less naive and realised that god for so many women there are these huge barriers so I think to have you as a mum and certainly for her to be growing up in this era where women are championed rather than ignored or disrespected is huge for Summer knowing that she can do sport if she wants and equally she can be an artist she can be a musician she can do whatever she wants. It's exactly that isn't it I mean she doesn't get so many things her
1: first day of school she got paired with a year six and they have like a little buddy and she came home from school and was like how's your first day and she said "Mummy, my buddy told me you're the fastest swimmer in the world I was like oh god okay and it was just like bless her she just does not get it she's just like but mummy, you're the champion right and she's just whenever I've shown her my medals she just swings them around and she doesn't really get it but hopefully she will when she gets older and I just want exactly like you say just want her to know that anything is possible we don't just take it to swimming we take it to tennis and she used do gymnastics as well. So I just want her to know that it's possible for her to do it in any capacity as long as the lifestyle is there like in, during lockdown, for been the first time really she's properly seen me do exercise this whole time, normally I go to the gym I drop her off at school and then I go to the gym and I've done odd bits with her in the past but never like we have in lockdown and I hope that that has gone, okay mummy exercise all the time, so does daddy okay we need to, and now she really loves it, she's like mummy I'm going to join in with the exercise and I'm like okay, and like we go out for bike rides together and stuff for now, and i just want to give her that lifestyle and just for her to know that anything is possible, you don't have to necessarily compete at something, you just do it for the fun of it because you love it and you want to stay fit and active and healthy and everything else, that's why you're doing it and if she wants to obviously go in and compete then I will be here to support her 100% but I just think it's just giving especially young girls, just them role models isn't it? Because there's no women's sport on at the minute and I just think how is sport back? But women's sport isn't back, it's just like, it's still sport Can we stop segregating it and just see it as
0: sport? Amen to that. Yeah, I agree. Summer's a very, very lucky girl with you as a mum. She'll be a superstar no matter what she does. I'm going to move on to your final moment, although it's quite an elongated moment because it was kind of an eight-month period of your life. But just talk us through uh, what kind of happened to you last year uh, and finishing off this eight-month period. Yeah, so
1: at Christmas 2018, um, I I was walking with my boyfriend and I just kind of said to him, I was like, I'm going to go to therapy in the new year he was like right and it it just kind of looked at me he was like okay and I was like I just want to do it like I've been having panic attacks I've feel like I'm not the best version of myself. I feel like this is an avenue for me. I don't I, I didn't feel like not that I couldn't open up to my family and friends, but I felt that I didn't want to burden them. I didn't know how to deal with it, and I think I just felt, well, this is my life and this is my normality, but I got to the point where I was like, "Hold on. This isn't normal." And I think everyone has that moment in their lives going, "I think I do need a little bit of help," but I am awful at asking for help. Anyone that knows me knows I'm t- terrible at that. And that is something I definitely need to work on because I'm terrible at asking people to help me out. It's just not in my nature. I'm like, I'll do it all. And then I get to the point where I'm like, I explode and I'm like, I can't do it all myself. And I'm like, damn it, I should have asked for help. But it's taken me a long time to learn that. And I think I saw a sports psychologist when I swam. So I know how big that was in my career because for three, four years, I had a sports psychologist who helped me through the biggest period of my life. So I had an idea because sports... Psychology is a little bit similar. Yes, it's not quite the same, but it is very, very similar. So, going to therapy just changed everything for me. It was an eight month journey of kind of managing my panic attacks to the point where I don't have any anymore. Touch words. And it was just dealing with techniques, dealing with emotions. And I felt almost like, oh gosh, should I be talking to people? Nothing's happened. Like, nothing. I lost my granddad, but he was old and he had had a fantastic life and I loved him to death but it wasn't the that initial trauma that triggered something it was that everything possible over my life I just never stopped I'd gone boom, boom, boom in my career and then all of a sudden I had this opportunity last year where things started to slow down and I don't do well with slow down I don't do well with just sitting because that's when you sort of overthinking and that's when you just start to spiral and your emotions take control of you so getting a hold of that therapy just bettered me it helped me and my moment is completing therapy but just because I felt like that was such a big achievement for me it was so amazing when the therapist sat there and was just like I don't feel like you fully need my support anymore and I was like I don't feel like I do either I felt like I was like finally like a kid that could walk on their own like I'd finally learned to walk I was like okay and it was just an amazing feeling that I just had the tools there that she's given me everything I needed I'd worked on myself and it's totally changed my perception of therapy as well and I just think I would recommend anyone to go to therapy whether you're going through a big trauma or not I think there is something for everyone because it's about making you a better stronger person and how is that not a good thing
0: oh absolutely I mean I and I've said it before for publicly, but I've been through therapy after an abusive relationship. And yes, I had a a trauma that I had to work through. But actually, as time went on, and I, I worked through those moments, and the sort of elements of that that I had to break down, it actually became about building myself back up. And I was sort of stripped right down. And then I had to build myself back up with the help of my therapist. And it was about becoming self aware to what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and the reasons that I've become the person I am And once you're aware of that, there's a real element of empowerment and you know who you are as a human being, you know what you want, and you know that you're going to be a better person because of the journey you've gone on and without coining the title of this podcast, the lessons you've learned in that process as well.
1: No, 100%. And I think it's just one of those that everyone goes through their own journey with it. And I think it's just a place of knowing that there is somebody there for you. I think it's just having... Opening up, I think, massively helps the problem. As soon as you tell somebody, don't quite feel right and I don't really know what's going on it doesn't have to be well I can't get out of bed like I didn't suffer from depression so I know friends and family that have and I know how debilitating that is but I never had that it was just a case of I had very bad anxiety I got very very panicky some things just weren't quite sitting right with me and things were just very hard sometimes to digest or talk about or whatever it is and I think no matter who you are like obviously yes you went through an immense trauma which is awful. But no matter what, you could always go back to it in your life. Even next year, if something was happening, you'd be like, okay, I can just pick that up because you have that security of knowing there is an end. There is somebody there for you. You don't feel as isolated. I don't think you feel as lonely. I don't feel like sometimes it's always possible to go into friends and family and feel like you are burdening them or even just to bring it up. It's quite awkward, isn't it? It's like... So um, we've never spoke about this before, but I kind of want to say it. And it's kind of, like, it's just an awkward thing to bring up and it gives you anxiety, just the thought of bringing it up. And it's kind of like, that's not helpful to anyone. And obviously if it naturally comes up, then it's brilliant as I think it helps so many people. But if it doesn't, and that's what therapy is for. It gives you that outlet to express all these emotions and everything that's going on in your life. And also they're not biased. It's very sometimes hard for me because my mum and dad love me so, so much. And it's kind of like, even when I went through online trolls and going that I stopped telling people because they would get so upset and so hurt by things that people were saying about me that I was like, hold on, if I tell them, even though it helps me, it upsets them so much that I can't do that to them anymore. So I would lock that away and just deal with it myself because I didn't want people in my life having those opinions of me or or thinking, oh gosh, like how awful things. So you just lock things away because you don't want to upset the people that you love. Of course you don't. And again, that's what therapy is great for because she She's just kind of like okay well she doesn't know them she hasn't read the online trolls so it's great
0: (laughs) and do you think in kind of the way you locked everything away for so many years um, you had all the pressure of London you had that feeling of disappointment after London you had retirement you had this whirlwind lifestyle you of course had the social media trolls who are just the absolute worst dregs of society by the way do you think that kind of contributed to almost a, a sort of eruption as it were once your grandfather had died there was that trigger maybe and it was a sort of eruption of every everything that you yeah. kept away and I think that sometimes happens I think we've seen that during
1: lockdown for the first time people have slowed down I think when you're living such a fast-paced life and you're going from one thing to the other and I've got to take some of here and then I've got to go to work and then I've got to do this you don't have time to sometimes digest things and I think sometimes when you stop that's when it all bubbles up or like you say something happens and it's a trigger and for me my grandpa was definitely a trigger but I think the fact that my life had started to settle like it wasn't such a, a Massive whirlwind anymore. I was managing my work, taking summer to school. It was just kind of like it eased. It would eased off. It was kind of going like this, blah, 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 and then all of a sudden, it just kind of slowed down. And then that's when everything came, started to come up because you think, oh gosh, I've never known how to just be. I've never taken time for self care. i would never done mindfulness. I've never just taken a moment just to breathe and just appreciate things. And whenever I did, that's when the anxiety would start. So it kind of was a real learning curve for me to accept, right, how do I look after myself? How do I slow down, but not have the anxiety there? And that's why then finding the things and the tools, even if it's just kind of doing jigsaws, doing silly little things and massively help me because they just ground you and they just kind of go, okay, I feel better now. And whatever it is, and it's different for every single person reading the book, jigsaw or whatever it is but I certainly needed to find that balance in my life and I don't think previously I had found a balance of looking after me and myself emotionally and mentally and everything else it was just all physical when I swam because it was about performance and driving that and then it was a case of okay the emotion of kind of marriage baby divorce everything else and I had never just taken time mentally to just switch off
0: (laughs) Oh, Becky, honestly, congratulations on graduating therapy. (laughs) Can we say that? Is it a graduation? I'm not sure. We'll take it. We'll run with it. (laughs) No, that's we could natter all day. Honestly, I could talk to you genuinely all day, Um, (laughs) but I won't keep you. Becky, you've been an absolute delight to talk to you. I've had goosebumps. I've nearly cried at one point when you were apologizing to your coach after London. Thank you so much for sharing so much of what's made you you with me today. No, thank you. Fabulous. Thanks very much, Becky. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Oh, Becky was just a joy to speak to and her attitude of this is me, take me or leave me, love me or hate me, is one we should all look to employ. Her sentiments about becoming a mum were just gorgeous and her memories of 2012 and 2008 are still as rich and vivid now. Plus, her refreshing honesty about therapy and how it has shaped her into the brilliant woman and mum she is now, I hope will help anyone out there struggling too. Thank you so much, Becky. Finally, I wanted to chat about my sponsor Airhead once again, a revolutionary new anti-pollution mask which you can now pre-order via Indiegogo and get a whopping 43% off the retail price. Head to www.airhead.cc forward slash lessons learned. I believe strongly in active travel and protecting our environment, and I am so excited to have support for this podcast from them. They are all keen cyclists, much like myself, and while commuting in London they soon realised the existing mask market proved hot, uncomfortable. Embarrassing to wear, and in some cases, ineffective. They quit their corporate jobs and joined forces with a team of expert designers at Brunel University to make radical improvements to pollution masks. It is estimated there are 64,000 deaths in the UK due to air pollution, and exposure to dirty air is also proven to negatively impact sports performance. With masks now commonplace, why not wear one that will also protect against air pollution? So that's it for episode four. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, hit subscribe, leave a review, and get in touch on social media as well, at Laura C. Winter on Twitter and Instagram. Plus, if you think your friends or family might enjoy this, do share as well. I'll be back next episode with the brilliant Ironman triathlete Lucy Charles. Until then, bye for now.